Hey, y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Bison Coolers, 100% American-made coolers. They're built not only for the outdoorsman or woman, but also for the weekend warrior type. You know, maybe uh, college football tailgating is your thing, or you're taking the wife and kids camping for the weekend. Either way, Bison Coolers has you covered. They're family-owned and offer great customer service, and you can find their entire lineup of coolers, tumblers, bottles, and other Bison gear by visiting bisoncoolers.com. Yes, I know we've got a long way to go. But I know every day I'm lucky just to breathe the air I breathe. And I hope everyone can feel this love is busted. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. A little Corey Morrow kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. I do appreciate each and every one of you. Always do. Uh, it's a treat to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you each and every week. So thanks for uh, sharing a part of your week with me. Uh, it's great to be here. Hope everybody has plans to get out and, and get after the feral hogs this week or uh, maybe head down to the coast, wet a line, or hey, if you're on those post-spawn crappie, that's great too, but just make sure you get outdoors. It's good for the soul. I'm going on a, a thermal hog hunt tonight and then a bow fishing trip on, uh, let's see, later this week on Friday. So uh, I'm pumped up about those. Hope you've got stuff you're looking forward to as well. If you don't, make something happen. Take a kid bluegill fishing. Hell, just get outside. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, I tell you what, it's been a crazy week uh, for the outdoor industry with Wild Game Nation, the long-running show on Outdoor Channel, being taken off the air uh, due to one of the hosts being convicted of elk poaching in Wyoming. And if you've seen or read anything about it, I think it gives you a glimpse into the kind of person Bill Busbis uh, is, was. Uh, and uh, and that was pretty sad to see that, to be honest with you. I never did like that show. I kind of got the vibe from... Well, I'm not going to say I knew the guy was a poacher. That would be an absolute lie, but uh, I didn't I didn't care for him personally or the way that he carried himself. And so uh, to see this come out, mm, disappointing, no doubt. So anyway, uh, Outdoor Channel, God, I'm losing my voice, but Outdoor Channel, uh, they got in front of this thing like you wouldn't believe. They immediately kicked Wild Game Nation off the air. And I called them and said, hey, I'd like to uh, let you guys tell your side of the story here. And uh, and I applaud you for the way you handled it. And they immediately replied and said, yes, our CEO, uh, Jim Libertor, would love to come on with you. So <laughs> Jim will be here momentarily, actually. And uh, I'm going to ask him all the hard questions. We're not going to sugarcoat this bad boy. I don't think you can sugarcoat it when something like this happens because it's such a black eye for all of us legal hunters out there. Uh, so I'm excited to have Jim join us here momentarily. And we will talk about the uh, the Bill Busby's poaching incident and their reaction to it in detail. Uh, then, something I'm really excited about. I've got uh, Randy Richard, owner of Glacierware. They're the largest fur buyer and furrier in North America. And he will join us all the way from Maine. The lifelong trapper and fur trader uh, will give us a glimpse into not only the history of trapping in the fur trade in North America, uh, but also 
the ebb and flow of this industry in his lifetime. Uh, cool stuff like a certain president that was uh, very much responsible for the demise of the beaver trade, and it was a complete accident. Uh, so some cool historical tidbits like that. Plus, what are modern-day fur prices for coyotes, bobcats, wolves, uh, even bears? You know, some states, actually one state, you can still trap black bear. I had no idea you could do that. Uh, so there's lots of fascinating stuff to get into. Uh, and and we'll get his thoughts on the vitality of the fur trade uh, in today's marketplace. What impact has PETA and animal rights groups like that, uh, Humane Society, what have they done to the fur industry? Or are they a non-factor? Uh, cool stuff coming up with Randy here in just a bit. Then we'll round out the broadcast by talking to Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar. And we'll get into his, uh, what is it? It's the, uh, let me get the right term here. It's the Grand Canyon Bison Act. And it's amazing when folks actually use sound science to manage wildlife. Instead of stupidity, like what Arizona was planning on doing, hiring sharpshooters to go in and kill 400 bison. Hell no. You got a great guy like uh, Representative Gosar say, we're not doing that uh, on the taxpayer's dime. We're going to let hunters come in and take care of this problem. Hey, two thumbs up. That's what works. <laughs> and it always has. And it always will. Uh, so we will get into the uh, Grand Canyon Bison Act as well. Uh, so that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I am certainly excited about it. A uh, couple other things to mention. Don't forget... Today's your last day to get your June photo of the month submission in. We're offering up a father-son combo. That's two rifles, two Mossberg Patriot rifles this month to the winner. So email your best outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it on our Facebook page wall or send it to us on Instagram. Actually, don't send it. Just use the hashtag LSOS Photo Contest with your photo. We'll get you entered. And then our 12 monthly winners will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at the lovely Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Let's do a uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got, um, what do I have here? I've got a Lone Star Ag Credit camo cap, and we'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker and a Lone Star Beer camo koozie to the third person to text in the word. Let's just keep rolling with Lone Star. That's Lone Star to 214-289-7807. 214-289-7807. And you could win the Lone Star prize pack. Uh, okay, let's take a break. Up next, it's the CEO of the Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's Channel, and World Fishing Network, Jim Libertor, joins us next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields, or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, threecurl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club. 
an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Cable Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today. Hey, this is Hank 3, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm drinking some George Jones and a little bit of coal. Haggard's easing my misery, and Wayland's keeping me from home. Hank's giving me those high times. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer. And Hoff Power Polaris, that's Hank 3, Country Heroes. Yeah, uh uh-huh. That's a grandson of Hank Williams, son of Bo Cephas himself, (laughs) and our good friend Hank 3. Great tune there. Thank you guys and gals for being here today. I do appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks for letting me ride shotgun with you today as, man, oh, man, we've got a doozy lined up for you to kick things off here. Uh, as big news, big, big news came down in the outdoor industry this week. Uh, one of the longtime faces of the community uh, busted or actually convicted of poaching elk in Wyoming. And uh, whew, this kind of, uh, this was surprising for everyone, to say the least, including Outdoor Channel. And we'll speak with Outdoor Sportsman Group Network uh, CEO and President Jim Libertor here momentarily. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by a great conservation partnership between Costa Sunglasses and O-Search, where they are trying to save the great white shark. So, don't fear the fin, fear the world without it. So what does that have to do with you? Well, if you check out the new Tiger Shark frame at CostaDelmar.com, a percentage of your purchase, if you do buy the Tiger Shark frame, will go back into shark conservation. So don't fear the fin, fear the world without it. For more information, go to costadelmar.com. All right, without further ado, let's bring on our first guest. He's the president and CEO of the Outdoor Sportsman Group Network, which includes Outdoor Channel, Sportsman's Channel, and World Fishing Network. Jim Libertor, thanks for being here. Oh, no problem. Thank you. 
I wish it was under uh, more pleasant circumstances, um, yeah. but but it is what it is. Uh, but let's get to know you a little bit. First of all, how long have you been a part of the uh, Outdoor Sportsman's Group Networks? I have been here from four, for four years, um, and uh, originally it was Outdoor Channel, and uh, then we took over World Fishing Network and Sportsman Channel. Mm-hmm. So that's been the progression over the four years, but I have been working for them for four. Okay, okay. And how have you seen outdoor television programming change in that time time span? And what's the biggest difference from then and now? It, it, the the proliferation of where people are watching outdoor programming. You know, four years ago, we really wouldn't have been too concerned with um, an MOTV property, which is our our app that's going to be distributed globally, or you know, the digital transformation and the proliferation of the distribution outlets has been stunning. There's a, there's a new one every week. I mean, if you think about this, two years ago in the cable industry, you were never talking about skinny bundles. You were never talking about, you know, the digital encroachment on the ratings. You mm-hmm. never see someone like ESPN lose 3 million subscribers in a year. Right. The entire industry is changing as people are consuming their uh, media in different places, and so that has been something we've needed to, as have all cable operator or uh, cable programmers, needed to adjust to. Oh yeah, uh, a huge challenge, and and I don't see. I mean, you're gonna have to come up with innovative ways to combat that because uh, that's not gonna yeah. go the opposite direction. Well, and for us, it's going to try and own the space. You know, we're doing exclusive deals with all of our top talent. We are launching uh, an international, like I said, uh, app. Uh Um, You know, we uh, have the 15 magazines in our family. Uh, We really need to to aggregate all that great content and put it every single place somebody is ever going to stop, even for a second, to read, watch, or listen to something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think you guys have a, a, a you know a grasp on that situation. Obviously, what, the MOTV app—I've seen a lot of that. Um, explain to our listeners exactly what that is. That is a uh, an an app that it's in iTunes, Android, where you currently we have I think about eight thousand episodes of outdoor programming from all of our uh, various producers. We're also this year going to be creating some original programming um, for MLF, our fishing tournament. Uh, we're going to be working for the end of this year for Michael Waddell to have original programming. There's also recipes and tips, and so if it's getting into elk season, you will see, you know, highlighted elk tips, and then after elk season, elk recipes. To use that as an example, but it's going to be the place for people to watch any type of outdoor programming, tips, recipes, you know, to help them. Uh, hunt and enjoy the outdoors or fish better and uh, just to have it to be entertained. Absolutely. Is it a free app? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> no, it's I was $9.99 a month or it's 100 bucks a year. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this, Jim. What is your favorite thing to hunt? You know, actually, it's funny. I came here from Speed Channel, um, Uh and then before that, I built a regional sports network. I was hired to because I build networks, not because I hunt. So I have been on one hunt in my life and did not even see an elk. So, um, (laughs) but it was we were at ten thousand five hundred feet, and it was uh, we were wearing t-shirts, you know, in November. So that. You knew it wasn't going to go well. Yeah, uh, we do. We do now have our concealed carry, and you know, I, I much more enjoy shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But right now, I guess the thing I like hunting most is subscribers for MOTV. So let's just. <laughs> right. Right on. Right on. Well, okay. The news of the week, obviously, in, in the outdoor industry is uh, Wild Game Innovations. Uh, Bill Busbis, one of the hosts, was convicted of, of poaching uh, cow elk in Wyoming. And I think everyone makes mistakes. When you hide the evidence, that's when the, the seriousness of the issue is, is compounded, I believe. When that came out, I mean, the reaction was overwhelming from what I saw from hunters that were just appalled. Um, what 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 was the initial response for you guys, and did you feel pressure from your subscribers to take the show off the air? Yeah, you know, first of all, it was, you know, for me and I, obviously, I know the buzzbuses. I consider Matt, you know, somewhat of a friend. He's He's has been helping me with a lot of different things. So, you know, that just makes it harder a harder thing to do, but it wasn't a hard decision. You know, I want to be real clear and no, we didn't feel any pressure from the viewers because it's, it's, in my opinion, is a, is a no brainer, you know, and the thing that's frustrating is first of all, you know, with, I'm frustrated that we didn't know about it. I actually found out when someone sent me the press release Wow. Uh, and that, that was really disappointing because you know, if we can get in front of it and, 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 you know, try, this one would be tough, you know, obviously given the circumstances, but so we didn't know about it. If you poach an animal, you you are not going to be on our air. I mean, that's not, the, the, the good news is, is that it's, it's just non-negotiable, you know, and there's a lot of things that a lot of different hunters comment on on our air you know fencing baiting all these types of things that you can debate and argue but that's just you know that's just one that it's there's just no debate um we had about a three minute phone conversation late um i don't know if that was tuesday night again because we just all found out about it mm -hmm. and uh the, you know the show was pulled off by 2 30 a.m the next morning that that telecast was was pulled you know and it's what you said it's it is always it's the cover up always i mean it's it it's you know we have a, a forgiving um you know people are in, in general forgiving um but it it i just wish that everybody you know would really think twice before they start to make that second bad choice mm -hmm. which is usually the one that gets you yeah uh, there's no doubt well, and I can only imagine the financial nightmare this must be from a sponsorship standpoint for both the network and and sponsors of the show. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, that's all kind of the aftermath that you need to work through and you know, I really view those as short-term pain. Mm -hmm. Uh the long-term pain is if anybody accepts this type of behavior and and then then our industry is in trouble. You know, the thing is is that you can have 10,000 ethical, awesome hunters, and then this happens once, and what are people obviously going to be talking about? Absolutely. This one. The black when you have a, Yeah, you have a target on your back already from, you know, people who don't understand the the hunting and the benefits and the industry and everything else. It's, mm -hmm. you know, they're kind of looking for things like this, and it's just unfortunate because Bill has a long, long history of doing a lot of good things, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, this wasn't one of them. Yeah. Um, how has the network dealt with poachers or hosts guilty of wildlife violations in the past? Um, I know, and, and, and Teresa Vale is a good friend of our show. She's been on multiple times. Brian Kowalka recently got uh, in trouble for harvesting a, a hen turkey in Oklahoma. Even uh, Uncle Ted has 
He yeah. not poaching, but just um, maybe putting too much trust in an outfitter and yeah. not knowing the regulations and and these are more minor things. But where's the line drawn on what is forgivable and what people are willing to move on from and you know not having to have a, a show canceled like this situation? Yeah, I I think uh, honest mistakes and um, just an immediate. Um, you know, acknowledgement that you made that mistake uh, is is forgivable. Uh-huh. Um, you know, even that uh, under repeated, uh, you know, circumstances, it gets a little different too. But since I've been running the networks, we've had three instances, and in all three instances, the shows were pulled uh, immediately. Um, and uh, they were uh, three instances that we found out about after the fact. And um, I'm assuming one was know, syndicate. The syndicate was one, Teresa was one, and mm-hmm. you know, and and the the Teresa one was tough because some of it was on film, and her remorse, and you know, she really, really felt bad, and and somehow from the time the camera went off to whatever she was, you know, it, it went, you know, that was one where you you could have shown that video to anybody, and nobody would have held any had any problem with what happened at all because mm-hmm. it was so clearly an accident and you could see exactly how it happened too. Yeah. But, you know, camera goes off and, and I don't know all of exactly what happened after that, but then it led to a, a bad choice there. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think though it, it, you know, these are all so varied, you know, if it's an administrative uh, sure. issue, uh, you know, I think a lot of things, I, th- I think a fair way of looking at it is what would the average hunter guy sitting at home or the girl woman sitting at home say, you know what, I get it. I get how that can happen. But nobody really understands how you can try to cover things up, and that's really where it starts to get south quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and that, and then just the blatant waste of the, the meat itself, that's yeah. a, a lot of folks have a major issue with that, as they should. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, uh, and, and let's be clear, I think if, uh, if Bill would have said, oh, uh, that's, that's a problem, and stopped right there and turned himself mm-hmm. in, I don't, I don't think the show would have been pulled off the air personally. Um, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, and I, we would have probably taken it off temporarily, uh-huh. you know, until we figured out exactly what happened. But you know, this came down, and and it was already, you know, the judgment was already made, and, and it was it was it was easy from that standpoint. We didn't have to try and divine or figure things out. So that yeah, made, yeah. you know. Well, and I I didn't realize that you guys were so blindsided by the whole deal. Um, oh yeah, that's. Uh, that's unfortunate that you, like you said, couldn't get in front of it and instead are backpedaling, scrambling. Um, so, uh, like, I want to be clear. I applaud you guys for handling it the way that you did. Uh, kept me as a subscriber, and I think uh, a lot of um, a lot of your supporters out there um, probably feel the same way. I know they do. Yeah. Well, we, we actually have a small group that we're getting together to try and uh, we, you know, I don't know if it's going to be PSAs. I don't know what it's going to be, but we want to really try to get in front of this because, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys who hunt once a week maybe are considering bad decisions. You know, you just don't know. But but I do think we should be trying to be proactive about really speaking out against this because it's so, again, so detrimental to to the space. And mm-hmm. um, we have we have a megaphone, so we're going to try to figure out a way to use it. You know, and help. Yeah. A, a couple other questions before we wrap this up. What is the protocol that you guys have in place for, say, a cameraman who reports uh, one of the hosts? Which that's that's got to be tough to do. You know, ultimately they're your boss, and 
Yeah. Uh, they've got a you know a, a lot of influence. But how do you guys protect those people who are willing to step up and and say, hey, this isn't right. We have to shed light on this. That's interesting because we I, I have never had that situation. I can tell you that one of the instances that we talked about, we did get a call from somebody. Um, that wasn't the Alaskan authorities, okay? Uh-huh. So we called the Alaskan authorities. Um, and that was, you know, that is a situation that was even a little bit, you know, you really feel bad, but it's just, again, it's just not a decision. So we found out what happened. It had not been reported, and we reported it, uh-huh. you know. So clearly the people who reported it to us, you know, haven't had any backlash or anything like that. I, you know, we would protect them to the extent that we could, but I think in general, because most people view it as a a whistleblower in a very positive sense, I, I don't think there would be any repercussions against somebody like that. Uh-huh. Okay. And then last question, can Wild Game Nation recover from this and never get back on the air? Hmm. I would say no. Does that mean, you know, I, I want to be clear, my understanding thus far is that uh, Ryan and Matt had nothing to do with this. So mm-hmm. um, this is not a Buzzbus family issue in my mind. Um, you know, Ryan and Matt, uh, from talking to them, completely innocent of anything, weren't part of this, weren't there. Um, so so some, some other iteration or, or some other show, certainly we would consider. Um, but it's, uh, I don't, you know, I don't ever want to say, I just don't think the Wild Game Nation uh, and I don't even know if any sponsors would want that to come back in that yeah. that variation. But those guys, I I really I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to make sure that we we understand and from everything we've been told that they were not part of that. So uh-huh. I, I and and you know we do get emails where people are like, oh the family, you know that's not right either. You know, um, yeah. so I just want to be able to say so. Thank you for asking that. Sure, sure. Well, that's all uh all I've got for you. Um. I do certainly appreciate your time today, and then, like I said, um, when I sent Aaron the email, I didn't I didn't know if you guys would would want to talk about it. Um, I was probably expecting more of a "we don't want to comment on it" type of response. So uh, I do appreciate it, and and that impressed me even more, to be honest. Well, I, I got it. I, I think it's important that people know where we stand on this. You know, more so every one of our producers, too. I mean, this is, uh, we can't be messing around with this stuff. And I think it's not even a difficult conversation in that sense. And so um, I was happy to do it. Okay. Well, hey, Jim, thank you so much. God bless. And uh, okay. we'll, hopefully, Have next a great time we are. Uh... Thanks a lot, Cable. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day. All right. Outdoor Sportsman's Group Network President and CEO, Jim Libertor. Uh, man. He's the head of the beast, and uh, they've handled it very well. Uh, and I, and I got to give them props for that. Like I said, um, what a horrible, horrible situation to be put into. And I think he gave a candid interview there. I, I don't think he danced around the questions, and he was pretty honest. Uh, I don't think we could ask for more than that. Uh, that segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. If you're trying to change the game, you're trying to get after those hogs and coyotes under the cover of darkness, then look no further than Pulsar. They've got the new Helion, the new Trail, and the new Core. That's one monocular and two different scope options in the Core and Trail. And you can uh, find more information about those units by visiting PulsarNV.com, and you'll save 20% off your entire order 
if you use my promo code, which is just Lone Star. Just use Lone Star when you check out. Uh, okay, let's take a break up next. We'll take a look at the fur industry then and now. That's right, a historical look back at the fur and trapping industry in our country, where it was uh, back in the 1850s when folks were starting to explore the West to where we are today. Is there a viable fur trade at all anymore? I mean, what's a coyote pelt worth? What's a bobcat? What's a wolf? All these things. We'll get into it next with Randy Richard owner and operator of Glacierware, the largest fur buyer and furrier in North America. Uh, so fascinating stuff. He's also a lifelong trapper. And we'll check in with him next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Need a new car or truck or your current vehicle worked on? Then stop by my buddy Justin's shop in Garland. Accelerate Auto Group does everything from oil changes to engine swaps. Scratch paint to custom car and truck builds, they do it all. Sales and consignment on everything from cheap commuter cars to investment grade, classics, and exotics. Also, all you outdoorsmen out there, check out the Kevlar coating for your truck. Always looking for good vehicles to buy as well. Call 469-300-9669 or visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com today. Howdy, friends. Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing, a fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003. Plus, one of the owners is a range listener himself. Tidal Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at TitleRoofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Hickory smoke above and an old dog on the floor. A piece of chalk on a black slate tabletop for keeping score. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to... Lone Star Outdoor Show, little 1100 Springs there. Actually, that's Matt Hillier, a solo project. If these old bones could talk. Uh, thank you guys and gals so much for being here today. I do appreciate each and every one of you. As uh, There's no place I'd rather be than talking all things outdoors with you. And we've got a very interesting topic to get into here momentarily. Uh, but before we talk some trapping and uh, kind of take a look back at trapping then and now and the importance of that trade and the fur industry overall uh, here in our country. Um, this segment of the show 
is brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. It's grilling season, y'all, and that means you need to go over to allseasonsfeeders.com. Check out their entire lineup of smokers and barbecue pits and grills. Uh, They've got something for everybody. Uh, I've got one in the backyard. Absolutely love it. Use it multiple times every week, uh, especially for all of my wild game preparation. And the most enjoyable thing for me is seeing the look on the faces of my friends and family when they put that first bite of smoked meat off the all seasons in their mouth. Mm, mm. I tell you what, it's a game changer. And you can find their entire lineup right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. Well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He joins us now from the great state of Maine. He is the owner of Glacierware, longtime fur trader and buyer, trapper. It's my pleasure to welcome Randy Richard to the program. Thank you. Today, I really wanted to take a look back at a time-honored tradition and way of life that these days, I think is often looked down upon by many of uh, out-of-touch Americans. But you go back in history, the earliest white explorers, adventurers on our continent were, by and large, trappers and fur traders. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, beaver uh, opened up the country, really. I mean, it was the uh, beaver trapping for felt hats that uh, really opened up the western part of the United States. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, and, you know, you go back and look at the film The Revenant. I mean, that, that entire uh, film is based on the premise, you know, of the fur trade, um, which, uh, you know, for that time period was pretty accurate. Uh, what do you do for a living, Randy? Uh, well, it's funny it's mentioned The Revenant, but we actually uh, contributed to that movie. Oh, really? <laughs> we, we do uh, three to five movies a year, uh-huh. uh, but our, our business is kind of multifaceted. I'm a, a raw fur buyer as well as a furrier, and uh, so we buy raw fur from, you know, when I say raw fur, it's untanned fur, mm-hmm. from the trapper, or we go to, uh, you know, trapper auctions and international auctions, we buy the fur raw, we have it tanned, and then we sell the the tanned furs as well as uh, items manufactured right here from the tanned furs. And we also make uh, articles, you know, garments, accessories out of people's own tanned furs. They can send us their tanned furs and we'll send them back, a, you know, a hat or a pair of mittens or whatever they'd like. Very cool. Very cool. Well, going back to The Revenant, because I was fascinated by that, uh, what did you guys contribute to that film? Bits of the wardrobe, uh, some of the decoration, different furs, uh-huh. and we also uh, supplied the the grizzly that was that that mauled him. It was uh, done digitally, but we we gave him the I don't know what what you want to call it, but the uh, replica uh-huh. uh, was done here, shipped to them, and then they were able to digit digitalize it and uh-huh. uh, and use it in the movie. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, well, you know, I, I think in modern times, I don't know, I think people look down on trapping just by and large, which is a shame because, like we said, this is uh, it's, it's American tradition. This is what this was a way of life for uh, those first adventurers and the guys that conquered the West. So talk about what historically what the heyday was and then how it's kind of ebbed and flowed in your lifetime. Okay. Uh, the, the heyday, it was actually uh, from about 1840 to 1860. Okay. And that's that romantic period, you know, they call it a romantic period, but I mean, that's when the, you know, uh, the Revenant would have taken place. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was the beaver trade mostly for making beaver felt hats. 
and uh, that was the rage in Europe. So uh, the beaver were all being trapped, and the silk hat actually, and uh, President Lincoln had a lot to do with it, but he started wearing a silk top hat, and that became the style, and the beaver kind of went out of fashion. Hmm. But, I mean, beaver hats are still being made today. I mean, if you buy a Stetson hat or a Resistol hat, they're made from beaver fur. And, you know, if it says 3X or 5X or 6X, that's the thickness and the quality of the beaver felt wow. in the hat. Huh. Okay. I, I did not know that. That's uh, that's interesting. Well, okay. Well, and coming back to today, yeah. you know, the heyday was the late 70s and the, the mid to late 80s. There was a, a kind of a stock market crash in 1987 that caused the fur market to crash, you know, and then, but it works on cycles. It came back, you know, and it's, it's come back and crashed you know, probably three times since. So, hmm. uh, you know, right now we're at all-time lows in the fur market. Uh, you know, at the prices for furs are as low as they've been, you know, in, in years and years and years. I mean, even in 19, well, let's say 1930s, when the Great Depression was going on, a uh, a man could go out and trap a extra-large male mink and get $20 when the average salary then was about 8 to $10 a week. Hmm. So that same mink today would sell for about $12. Wow. Well, I mean, so that gives you, kind of, <laughs> it gives you an example. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that mink is almost, I don't want to say worthless because it has a value to the buyer, but to the actual trapper, by the time he puts in the work for gear and, and fuel and everything else, I mean, it's, I don't even know if that's profitable. So... That's, uh... it, it probably isn't. I mean, there are some things, you know, uh, western coyotes, the, uh, the what they what they call a heavy, so a northwestern, like a Montana, North Dakota type coyote, uh, today is bringing, you know, $175, mm-hmm. you know, because of uh, mostly for trim on parkas. There's a company called uh, Canada Goose, and, you know, they need about half a million coyote roughs to put on the hoods of their parkas a year, which translates into about 100,000 coyotes. Wow. And they can only use that one section, so the competition is fierce. Huh, interesting. Well, yeah, and if you look at a, a Texas coyote, I mean, it is essentially worthless. I, I do not know anyone in Texas, or nor have heard of anyone in Texas in the last, I don't know, just say two decades that's actually making a profit on selling coyote furs, because they're just not as thick. No, no, you know, Versus the Montana, like I said, at $175, a Texas coyote would probably be in the uh, $8 to $12 range. Wow. In the teens at best. Yeah. And that's essentially going back to fuel and labor. It's not even worth it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, but what I tell people is, you know, when you go out fishing or hunting, it does nothing but cost you money. And it's recreation. You enjoy it. Right. And if you go out trapping and you break even... Well, you're kind of ahead of the game. I mean, uh, you know, the guys that are out there trapping enjoy it just as much as a guy fishing or hunting. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can actually recoup some of your, your expense, you know, when you trap in, in your outdoor recreation. Sure. Well, can a guy go out and make actual, actually make a living trapping if that's his only means of, of income today? It'd be pretty tough. Okay. Um, <laughs> there are some, you know, natives up north, the Crees, and some guys in Alaska. But, I mean, uh, you know, they're... I've heard of guys that you know, could still today, even at the low prices, 
you know, somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars working hard for a season. But hmm. I mean, that's that's the best section of fur in the world, you know, and and uh, and the guy's working pretty hard again. So. Yeah. Well, so as a general rule, the farther north you go, the more valuable the pelt is going to be. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Um, is there some kind of geographic line where you know you're a buyer, where you say, okay, if it's below X, it's I'm probably just not even going to buy it, or is, would you buy anything if uh, the price was right? No, I mean for for most articles, let's just say ninety percent of the fur, it would kind of know, you'd have to almost draw a line from maybe like Pennsylvania through Ohio, you know, across to Northern California. Okay. From from that area north, I mean, there's there are a few items. I mean, like Kansas can produce a decent coyote once in a while and, and some decent bobcats. But other than that, I mean, most of what you get in the south doesn't have a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if the – so, I mean, in south Texas, we have beautiful bobcats, just, you know, wonderfully spotted uh, coats. Still, that doesn't matter as much as the thickness of the fur. Right, right. Okay. Well, and, and so – um. I was kind of surprised. I went on a, a mountain lion hunt. I've actually been with the same guy twice in Colorado. And uh, yep. his hounds, you know, once in a while we'll get on a bobcat track. I mean, they're they're trained to track felines. Bobcat, mountain lion, they're pretty indiscriminate. And he gets excited when it's a bobcat because he's like, well, that, that could be, you know, three to 500 bucks. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, if in the right sections right now, coyote, I mean, a bobcat could be uh, 500 to $1,200. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard way of life, but like you said, it's uh, it's something that these guys that are out there doing it, they do it because they love it. Um, when they actually harvest the animal, what um, are most of them dispatching it with like a twenty-two? I imagine they're trying to put as, as small a hole in the pelt as possible. Uh, what's the standard there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure mo- a lot of them are dead already it? anyway, but. They are. I mean, there's basically three methods used today. So you have the leg hold trap, you have a snare, or you have what's called a a killer trap, a conibear mm-hmm. type trap. And uh, the bear breaks the neck uh, of the animal when it's when it snaps. So it's almost instantaneous. Mm-hmm. That's with that. Uh, the snare, you know, is just what you envision it you know it's a wire loop that the animal oh, yeah. i've dispatched coyotes and snares basically suffocates yeah uh, and then the leg hold is uh would be dispatched with a 22 generally yes i just use a you know a 22 short uh-huh okay from a pistol this you know it's easier to carry um you're not lugging a rifle around and you can just use the 22 short to, to and minimal it. fur damage there so well yeah you do it and basically they're you know they're killed instantly but with a shot you know behind the ear mm doesn't ruin the fur and, and the animal dies instantly you know pay, basically painlessly and you know a lot of people you know there's a lot of sensationalism you know then and it's generated by these anti-organizations you know PETA and the Humane Society but people really don't realize that the same foothold traps with regulations today the way they are the same foothold trap that the trapper is using is is the same trap that the wildlife biologist is using you know, to trap a wolf and collar it and, you know, to trap a bear or trap a, you know, a coyote. When they're doing their studies, they still use the foothold traps. Mm-hmm. 
they anesthetize the animal and uh and then you know it's released unharmed from a foothold trap and it's the same trap you know so it's sure sure i mean so, if they can trap them and release them and then they go on to you know to track them and educate you know the department on the movements or the breeding you know of of the certain species and the densities uh, you know it's it's uh it can't be that bad <laughs> you well, know it's yeah, and I, and I always say hunting is conservation. Yeah. If you take the value away from an animal, then who's going to protect it? Nobody. The anti-hunters fail to realize that. It's the same thing with trapping. Um, a delta waterfowl, for example, they'll trap uh, fox, skunks, raccoons, all up in the prairie pothole region where you know waterfowl, ducks, mostly puddle ducks, nest. Um, and so trapping is conservation too. And, and here we take it a step further because these biologists are using the same exact traps that, you know, uh, trappers are using and they're doing it for conservation exclusively so uh, definitely has it, it's still a very viable tool like you just alluded to well randy i'm certainly enjoying the conversation today uh still a lot more i want to get into regarding uh the fur trade and uh so are you cool to stick around for another segment sure no problem Perfect, perfect, and uh, we will table that conversation here for just a second. Uh, that segment was brought to you by the all-new Drive Over Chalk. If you're hauling an ATV, a golf cart, a Jeep, a four-wheeler, I mean, you name it, if you're hauling it, you need to check out the Drive Over Chalk. It's a practical product that keeps your investment locked in place. So here's what you do. You go to driveoverchalk.com, order yours today, and you'll receive free shipping if you told them you heard about it on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's a $50 value. Check it out, driveoverchalk.com. Okay, let's take a break. Up next, we will we'll find out what are the animals that Randy is most actively looking to buy uh, when it comes to furs, and, and what's the value uh, for some of those species. All that next, right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey y'all, Cable Smith here, and it's no secret that hunters want the advantage in the field, and that's why I'm proud to introduce Scent Blaster. It's a two-part active scent dispersal system with an innovative scent container that keeps your wick wet during your entire hunt. We are taking pre-orders right now, $24.95 gets you the all-new Scent Blaster and a six-pack of our long-lasting wicks, and you can order right now online at scentblaster.net. So get your scent out and improve your game with Scent Blaster. Hey y'all, Cable here for Accelerate Auto Group, owned by my childhood baseball buddy. They're a full-service dealership and service restoration and customization facility in Garland, specializing in cool truck customizations, lift kits, performance upgrades. They'll even Kevlar your entire truck or its bed. The perfect heavy-duty finish for hunting and fishing. Accelerate Auto Group also offers 100% custom truck builds. The sky is the limit. Visit AccelerateAutoGroup.com or call 469-300-9669 today. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. 
Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. That's the latest from Jack Ingram. I'm drinking through it, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and uh, Power Players. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here today, as it is a treat and an honor to be here uh, talking about the things that I love most with you week in and week out. Uh, The more the merrier, by the way, so tell your hunting buddies, tell your fishing buddies, hell, tell your hunting dog, I don't care. Uh, We just want folks listening. Anyway, we will continue uh, taking a look at the fur industry as we continue our visit with Randy Richard here momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd personally love to have you get involved with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To get plugged in, check us out at biggame.org. All right. Uh, Well, let's go ahead and dive back into it here with Randy. Uh, You know, Randy, before the break, we talked a lot about the, the history of the fur trade in North America, but now let's dissect where we are right now today. As far as what pelts are you looking to most frequently purchase, and I imagine that that's a pretty diverse answer, but uh, what's really high in demand in today's market? You know, it, it is really diverse. Uh, we we carry the largest inventory of tan fur in North America. Mm-hmm. So we basically carry everything. I mean, there's we all the way from a squirrel or a weasel to a grizzly bear. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, most of what we buy, uh, we we buy a lot of foxes, a lot of red fox, gray fox. We buy a lot of raccoons. We buy a lot of uh, coyotes. Um, you know, but I guess those would be the larger numbers. You know, we when we buy ranch fur, so ranch raised fur, farm raised fur as well as wild fur. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, it, like I said, it, it could be, you know, I might buy 1,700 squirrels and, you know, and 5,000 foxes, you know, in a season. So, uh, right. It, it really varies. And well, we carry black bears. I mean, we have mountain lions. We There's nothing we don't carry. So uh, just a, a hunter, if they just went out, because obviously people aren't trapping bears, uh, so if you had a bear tag, you went out, legally shot it, then I could sell it to you if I wanted to. Correct, correct, uh-huh. as long as it's taken legally. And and you can actually, we uh, in Maine, you can still trap bears. It's the last state in the Union where you can still legally trap a bear. Well, good for you guys. I know last year <laughs> they were trying to do away with uh, bear hunting over bait and with hounds in your state and and. We got that defeated, which was a good, you know, a great win for... Uh, it was great, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I had a discussion with a guy named Randy Cross, who's the head bear biologist in the state, and he said, you know, there's 
no biological reason why why we can't even harvest more bears in this state. I mean, there's just he said that we're harvesting about three thousand a year, and his number would be thirty five hundred to four thousand if he could do it. Wow. Well, and folks fail to realize that if you don't hunt over bait in places like Maine and, and where I hunted in the uh, boreal forest up in Alberta, you're not going to see these bears. It's not like a coastal black bear hunt. Uh, you know, they're coming out in the open. And these bears live in thick, thick forest, and it's really the only way you're going to run into them. It, it would be. I mean, I lived for uh, I lived in Montana for 25 years. And we could go out to avalanche slides, you know, and grass openings and, you know, on the mountains, and you could spot and stalk. And, but out here, I mean, it's just so thick. I mean, it's, you know, it gets three times the rainfall of Montana. And, and uh, you know, the, the timber in here is just it's super thick. I and, mean, you, you know, your visibility might be only 30 yards, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, taking bears, if they couldn't bait them here or run them with dogs, I imagine that the kill would go down in the, the low hundreds, you know, versus 3,000. Yeah, yeah, which, like you said, the biologist would prefer if it was 3,500. So, uh, <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah 3,500 to 4,000. So they'd be taking, you know, we'd just be overrun. I mean, they'd be taking 300 bears and, you know, so one-tenth of what uh, what we're taking now, and he's still 25% below what he wants to take. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating that people want to do away with that and in the name of conservation and animal rights and all this other crap. But at the end of the day, all they're doing is a disservice to the bear population. If they do do that, um, you're going to have more bears. They're not going to be as healthy, and then you're going to have more problems with bear and human interaction. So uh, it's asinine. What, uh, Randy, when you get fired up, you say, "Oh, that's a nice pelt." What what species is it that that really excites you the most? I've got friends that tell me my problem is, is what they in the industry they call it the goods, but they say you love the goods. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of you know I, I still get excited when I see something really nice. I I have to say like a western bobcat is kind of one of the one of the nicer things that you know you uh-huh. you pick up something that you know has a bluish colored back and spots all the way around the back. You know, and a nice wide white belly with you know jet black spots and. You know, it's just gorgeous, and I, I think about what I can make with that. You know, can mm-hmm. we make a hat, or do we want to make a vest, or, you know, what do we want to do with that that beautiful pelt, you know? So, you know, that's still good. I mean, certain things, too, like, uh, you know, like uh, a great big grizzly bear, you know, with, you know, spring grizzly with, you know, six-inch hair, you know, and it's all, it's got that silver tipping and just looks gorgeous, you know, and mm-hmm. could be a wolverine, but I'd have to say bobcat's probably my favorite. Okay. And bobcats are worth more than a lynx? They are. They're worth, you know, traditionally they weren't, but they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a top-end lynx is, well, this year would have been about $250, uh, where a top end bobcat was about twelve hundred dollars. Wow! Wow! Okay, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm. Uh, and the reason why I really wanted to have you on is because I I wanted to go back and take a look. Like we said, it's very nostalgic practice, uh, time honored tradition trapping, and uh, and I'm actually going um, here in February. I'm heading up to British Columbia to spend a week with a trapper and run his trap line and. Uh, hopefully get a wolf, a lynx, and possibly a wolverine. So, uh, and then, you know, other stuff like fox and, and uh, martens and weasels and stuff. But uh, I'm really 
really want the uh, the wolf first and foremost, and the lynx would be number two on on my bucket list. So we'll uh, yeah. we'll see, but should be a very educational experience. Oh yeah, I mean it's you know with with trapping you it's it's more involved. You have to learn more about the animal you're trying to trap than if you're hunting or you know fishing for sure. But uh, you know you you have to really know their habits. You have to pick their routes, just, you know, similar to, to deer hunting, but, but then you have to be able to fool the animal, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot more. I mean, if you're trapping a coyote, let's just say, you know, you're, you're setting, you know, let's, let's just say it's called a dirt hole set and you want to mimic of where a, another coyote has stashed some food, you know, and, and it, you know, you have to dye your traps, you wax them so that they can't smell the metal you sift dirt over the top, you know, it's, you, you're spraying coyote urine to mask any other odor, mask your odors or any other odors. And, you know, it's just so much more involved. And, and the anticipation going in and checking your trap is just like going hunting. You know, mm -hmm. you, you don't know if you've got something in your trap or not, you know. So oh, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, my daughter uh, decided this past year, so 2016, that she was going to uh, – that she wanted to trap, and she took the trapper education course, and took the hunter safety course, and we went out and trapped a bear, you know, and she was lucky enough to get a 437-pound bear, you know, the oh, first wow. time out. And, you know, it was, it was a great experience. You know, she learned a lot, and, you know, it was, it was great, you know, taking my daughter out to, you know, teaching her how to how to trap a bear. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine owns a ranch in the Texas Hill Country, and they actually still have a bounty on coyotes in their county. And so he uh, runs a snare line on the outside, you know, perimeter of his fence. And he takes his, uh, I think his son is seven. He takes his seven-year-old son with him to check him every afternoon. And every coyote they catch is 50 bucks from the county. And they put that money into a bank account. And when his son turns 16, they're going to buy his first pickup with it. So, uh, right. yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. And, and like we said, those coyote pelts are not worth you know, much in Texas. Uh, so at least they're getting $50 out of the deal. And, uh, and he, just like you with your daughter, he's passing down that tradition to his son. Pretty cool deal. Yeah. There. It's a family business here. I actually have two, both my daughters working here mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they, they're both furriers and, uh, and, you know, take on other duties also, but they can, they sit down and, you know, go from the cutting and the, and the sewing and the making of, uh, garments and accessories. Awesome. Well, let me ask you this because I'm I'm fascinated by wolves. Have been, I mean, we've it's really the hot button issue in our country when it comes to what to do with a specific species, and there's a lot of distrust there stemming from the way the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, forced the reintroduction and then didn't turn over the control to the states like they said they would uh, when they reached you know X number of breeding pairs in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho. What does a wolf pelt go for these days, and is there a color that is more widely sought after than uh, you know another? There is. Uh, so the the range is is quite diverse. I mean, you can take a a Quebec, you know, Ontario type wolf, uh, you know, Canadian wolves that are, you know, really just kind of look like a great big coyote, uh -huh. and they can be anywhere from thirty dollars to you know, let's just say $125. But when you get up north in the Arctic, uh, you know, the white and the black huh. are the 
the, you know, what's most sought after. And, you know, it's, they're the rarest ones and everybody, you know, wants a white or a black. I mean, just because they're so special, I guess. And, you know, a white or black wolf can go up to a thousand dollars. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Well, hopefully I'll trap a, a black one on my trip. That's what I... <laughs> <laughs> well, there's quite a few out there in Alberta, so... That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Um, well, just kind of wrapping things up here today, um, what are some tips? So say you've, you know, if one of our listeners <clears throat> snares something, traps something, when they are actually, you know, caping that animal out, preparing the pelt to sell at auction or, or sell to you, what do they need to think about in order to get the most money for their their uh, pelt? Well, number one, you want to wait and harvest the animal when it's prime. You know, so when I say prime, it means it has its you know the peak of its winter coat, and that differs on different animals. But uh, you know, generally, you know, you're looking at no you know, late November till till let's just say February. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you want to do that. You want to make sure that when you put it up, when it's so skinning, fleshing, and drying it on a board, uh, that you know you do a, a good job. You, you don't want any damage. You have to do a you know a, a careful, patient job of skinning it so that you're not putting holes in it. Uh, and then what's called fleshing when you scrape the flesh and the sure. fat off, and then you air dry it. So I mean it's 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 all really about when the animal's taken and and the quality of care that's taken when it's put up. Mm-hmm. And are they and, worth more with their feet and heads intact? Uh, certain animals, you know, there's a taxidermy market that in different markets, so different times of, you know, of, of uh, the cycle, I guess, you know, with, with furs being up and down, where the taxidermy market at times is better or even much better than the fur market. Oh, okay. So uh, let's just say a red fox today, you know, is is relatively inexpensive, but there's a demand for a a red fox that's been put up for taxidermy. So that would be, you know, what they call turning the ears. You've seen it all with your with your hunting, but it's no different than caping. So you're you're pouching the feet, you're turning the ears, you're splitting the lips mm-hmm. and preparing it so that a taxidermist can take that and mount it. Hmm. Okay. Put it on a form. Right, right. Interesting. Well, cool stuff. Uh, Randy, I've certainly enjoyed the conversation today. It's been educational. Uh, and, and like I said, I'm just fascinated by this time-honored uh, tradition. Way of life for um, a lot of, um, like you said, mid-1800 adventurers and explorers, those first guys that, that started to... Uh, go out and, and head west and conquer that, I'd call it the great unknown at that point in time. All that was out there was just wilderness and and uh, Native Americans. So uh, it wasn't an easy way of life, that's for sure. No, it wasn't at all. <laughs> it was a lot tougher than a lot of people think. I mean, yeah. you know, you have to think those those guys were going in the water without waders and, you know, without wool pants. And, uh, you know, it, it was pretty tough. I don't think a guy uh, lived very long with that lifestyle. Yeah. No doubt, no doubt. Well, uh, if folks want to find your products uh, or sell you, you know, maybe they want to sell you a fur, uh, where can they find you? They can reach us at glacierware.com. It's uh, G-L-A-C-I-E-R-W-E-A-R, like clothing, Uh dot com. 
and like you said, the largest uh, fur buyer in North America. So we've got, uh, I'm sure, a, a pretty large inventory there. We do. We have uh, approximately sixty to 70,000 tanned pelts here right now. Wow. It's stuck. <laughs> Awesome so eleven thousand square foot warehouse, so it's quite a bit of fur. Well, and this has been great for me because when I, I, you know, I got online and I started looking around, I was like, who could I talk to about where the fur industry is today? And I had no idea that there was um, such a, you know, that someone like you had such a large business in today's world, still based solely off of uh, the fur trade. So that was uh, encouraging. Uh, I guess would be the word I would use to describe it. Yeah, it's uh, you know I it, I don't think it's going away, and of course, like I said, I have uh, two of our daughters or our two only two daughters working with us, so you know I would like to think there's a future for them. I I would let them in the business if I didn't think there was a future. So yeah, I, I think it'll continue to go, and you know more uh, of the designers, and we work with you know some of the most you know the largest designers, most popular designers in the world, and they're still they're all putting fur in their. Uh, you know, in their lineup, their their fall and winter uh, clothing lineups, and you know, fur is is just as popular as it ever was right now, really. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you one more question because I, I probably should have asked you this earlier, but didn't think of it until just now. What effect have you know organizations like PETA and the Humane Society had on the fur industry, or have they not, or or is it just propaganda, and you really don't think it's had much impact at all? I, I think they've had some, you know, to, to deny that they've had no impact would be wrong. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I think they've had some impact. Um, I think they had more impact, you know, let's just say, you know, a decade or two ago. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, people are starting to realize that, you know, they're, they're not really um, dealing with reality in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. you know, PETA doesn't want you to fish, hunt, or sacrifice any species for another. They don't believe that, you know, you should sacrifice a rabbit's life to find a cure for cancer. I mean, it's it's insane, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the Humane Society euthanizes more pets than any other organization in the world. You know, so, I mean, you know, that's kind of hypocritical in a way, too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and there was a survey done recently uh, with millennials and uh, they basically said, you know, nobody nobody has the right to tell me what I can wear and what I can eat, you know, and and, and they're right, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, fur and leather, you know, and another, I just, I don't want to go too lengthy here, but fur and leather are really the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't realize that when they wear their Birkenstocks or they put on a leather belt or they grab a leather handbag, the only difference between that and a fur hat is they slip the hair off on yeah. one side of the leather. I mean, fur is leather on one side, and they just left the fur on. They didn't slip it off. And and it's biodegradable. I mean, you can take a fleece jacket and bury it in the ground, and it's going to be around for millennia. And in a fur garment, you put it in the ground, and it's gone in a year, year and a half. Yeah. You know, it's completely decomposed. So it's, it's more envi- environmentally favorable than than you know fleeces or you know any man-made synthetics polyesters rayons any of the nylons anything like that yeah yeah it is uh <laughs> it's really something that twilight zone that they live in isn't it <laughs> it is <laughs> it is oh my god 
Well, that's uh, we could talk about that for hours and hours and hours. But uh, I certainly have enjoyed the conversation, Randy. Thank you so much. Y'all check it out, uh, GlacierWare.com. If you have anything that you need uh, regarding the fur industry, buying or selling, um, Randy will take care of you. So we appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you for talking to me today. All right, take care. Yep, you too. Bye now. All right, all right. There he goes, our new friend Randy Richard, uh, joining us all the way from Maine. And uh, that was fascinating. Hope you all enjoyed it. I certainly did. That was uh, one of the more educational features I think we've done in in recent memory. But, man, I'm fascinated by the the way things used to be and how they got to where they are today. So regarding trapping and, and really the way that the West was shaped, uh, that that was a major factor. So cool stuff there. Uh, that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Say you do have that amazing pelt or hide that you want to do something with. I mean, you know, put it on your wall. Uh, well, look no further than Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. They've got locations in Marion and San Antonio. And Josh and Becky have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for six years now. Whitetail, black bear, axis deer, trout. Just looking around the studio here. Gemsbuck. Uh, canvas back ducks, uh, any duck, uh, they do it all. Spoonie, yeah, I do have a spoonie mounted, and I'm proud of it. A Drake Hollywood is a beautiful bird, y'all. Anyway, check it out. It's grthenumber8mounts.com. That's grthenumber8mount for your next spoonie mount. <laughs> Let's take a break. Coming up next, uh, there's a problem in Arizona. They've got too many bison in the Grand Canyon. And Representative Paul Goser has the solution through the Grand Canyon Bison Act. And we'll explain how this would stop the widespread slaughter of 400 buffalo and would be left to rot. Instead, hunters might be able to help with the problem. We'll get into it right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Still doing time in a honky-tonk prison. Still doing do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. It's no secret the weather in North Texas is harsh and unforgiving, and that's why I need to tell you about Tidal Roofing. 
A fully insured roofing company serving DFW since 2003, plus one of the owners is a range listener himself. Title Roofing offers free estimates with a workmanship guarantee of seven years using only quality materials. They offer residential and commercial roofing, gutter and window installation and repair, painting, fencing, and are a general contractor. Check them out at titleroofing.com or call 972-455-8181 today. Rangers get a little help there from Steve Martin. Yes, the great Steve Martin, the comedian on the banjo. A hell of a banjo player, no doubt about that. Uh, that's the great Remember. Awesome tune there. I'm Cable Smith, and you are tuned in to Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we've got a, a pretty cool topic to get into next regarding science-based conservation versus wide-scale slaughter and waste of a resource. Novel concept, I know. Uh, it's lost on so many people how hunting truly is conservation. Uh, you guys and gals know that, um, but nonetheless, we're going to get into it here momentarily with Arizona Congressman Paul Goser. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Get the smoked turkey. Uh, that's my favorite anyway. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and bring him on now. It's my pleasure to introduce Arizona Congressman Paul Goser of the 4th District of Arizona, Thank you so much for being here, sir. Thanks for having me on cable. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, first, first of all, I want to ask you, I know you're from Wyoming, so did you grow up uh, hunting and fishing? I did. I'm from just south of Jackson, a little town called Pinedale, so uh, hunting and fishing was a staple. So a wonderful time growing up. I think uh, most of the time we grew up like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. We were outside on the, on the water in the woods, and uh, you know, maybe we should be a lot more hurt than we are. Yeah. It's funny how times change is i mean someone we talked about this with another guest last week a little bit but uh now i make part of my living using social media you know and sitting in front of a computer or on my phone all you know for at all hours it seems like uh but i didn't grow up like that and i don't know maybe today's kids are uh maybe it was a better time and place when we weren't so attached to our to our mobile device well, I agree with you. Getting out in the outdoors, uh, fresh air, seeing the sights that nature surrounds us with, and being part of that, that schematic is always good. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we were we were raised that uh, you ate, you were out of the house, and don't come back and, uh, until, uh, you know, supper time. Yeah. Get your chores done. And, and uh, so we had lots of fun. And yeah. those are things that you always remember. So when did you move to Arizona? Uh, when I came out of dental school, I moved to, to Arizona, so I'm a dentist impersonating a politician out here. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you're um, representative from the 4th District. As far as the, a map of Arizona, I have no idea. Is that uh, Does that encompass the uh, area of you know the Grand Canyon? 
part of it. Um, so in my, this is my fourth term that I've starting um, uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And between those four terms, I've now represented almost 85% of the geography of Arizona. So wow. uh, the whole rural area except for Phoenix and Tucson. So that gives you an idea. So one way or the other, I've actually represented this area in the Grand Canyon and worked with sportsmen and, and sit on natural resources. So this is one of my loves. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so that's uh, that's why you kind of took up the the flag here for this bison issue you know and bison are an uh, interesting and iconic symbol of the american west but by the 1880s you know they were pretty much wiped out uh and so i was doing a little research trying to figure out how these bison got to arizona and um i'm sure they lived there at one point in time but by the 1880s they were long gone and then there was a guy i was reading about named charles jesse jones he was a rancher hunter former buffalo hunter and skinner, and so I guess he witnessed the slaughter of these, these bison firsthand. Well, he brought a herd to northern Arizona in the early 1900s. Um, am I on the right track here? From what I understand, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so these bison just kind of were left to, to roam as they will, and by the year 2000, the herd had begun to reside within the Grand Canyon National Park um, pretty much year-round. So how many animals are we up to today? I don't know the exact amount of numbers of, of animals, but the animals are, are surmounting what the resources are there, okay. uh, Cable. What they're doing is, is they're staying within the park. Um, as you know, um, our vegetation is pretty lean. And so now what they do, um, if you understand the, the, the bison habits, they'll actually dig up the, the plant and its roots and just actually scour uh, the plateaus that they're residing on, just totally destroying it. Okay. Interesting. So it sounds like uh, kind of like a feral hog to me because they pretty much, yeah. you know, there there's uh, I'm not uh, I'm not equating the bison to a feral. Hog. I'm just saying as far as their feeding habits, they 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 root it up, whereas like a, a deer or even a cow or, or more of a grazer. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, so everything I read said close to 600 animals, give or take a few. Mm-hmm. Um, when did the idea of needing to cull some of these animals? in order to protect the park first come to light? Well, the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, kept bringing it to our attention, and it became um, almost catastrophic based upon the, how they were destroying the plateaus within the, the vistas that you see in the Grand Canyon. So that experience is being ruined, and they were trying to come up with some type of a plan, and that's where this emulated. Mm-hmm. And uh, like uh, we had talked about earlier, this is uh, kind of the gold standard of what can happen where it's a benefit both to the taxpayer not spending any money, to the sportsmen where they actually get a chance to hunt the animals, and yeah. then also a collaborative aspect with the uh, Park Service um, to uh, manage that herd uh, appropriately. So, I mean, this is a gold standard to, to, to benefit everybody. Yeah. Well, just another example, you know, we always say hunting is conservation, and, and this is an example, a prime example of that fact. Um, wh- who have been the biggest abstainers of this legislation, or I guess this bill, um, it is called the Grand Canyon Bison Management Act, if I have that right. Mm-hmm. Um, who have been the biggest um, naysayers? Well, the biggest ones were the parks um, at the very beginning. And so what they, you know, to be very honest with you, what they wanted to do is at the taxpayer's expense, they wanted to uh, hire government uh, sharpshooters to come in and uh, slaughter the animals and let them lie. 
And what what a, dis, a disdainful, disgraceful uh, pattern that, that would actually do. Um, not only are we in fiscal trouble, but you know, to allow uh, a wonderful animal, um, you know, the ability for somebody as a sportsman to take it and then actually uh, utilize it. Um, you know, they they eat very good. Most of these bison um, have a a, a uh, cow component. They're inbred with with cattle, mm-hmm. um, so they actually are uh, more like a beefalo. Nobody wants to be heard saying that, but that's exactly what they are um, uh, genetically. Right. Um, but they're wonderful eating. If you've ever had buffalo or or uh, beefalo, you'll find out they're extremely good eating. Haven't had some uh, growing up, and then in my years. It's a it's a wonderful delicacy and and good eating and and uh, this this benefits everybody. Oh yeah, I had a we had a bachelor party last weekend and uh, went to a nice steakhouse and I got the buffalo fillet, better than beef in my opinion, uh, no doubt about that. Medium rare. That's no, it good. always has to be medium rare. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just wipe its butt and send it out. Um, <laughs> okay, well so obviously the park you said. Biggest abstainers. Yep. What, what about animal rights activists? Did they throw a fit about this? Uh, they, they, they've been kind of silent because, uh, for the most part, as, as you articulated, they really weren't natural for quite some time on the Grand Canyon. Um, and so you almost have to look at them as almost an invasive species. And so there are other species in the Grand Canyon, and you know that ecosystem has been is, is very sparse with resources. So we've got to be very... Um, uh, protective of what is actually there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them came in line because I don't think they actually saw, you know, uh, a slaughtered buffalo laying on a plateau as being very scenic and enjoyable to those uh, the millions of people coming to the Grand Canyon to see the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, as I made mention when I did this last year, you know, it was an easy one to, uh, to get uh, inference by the public because I said it will be the first scratch and sniff uh, portrait. Um, can you see that carcass? Um, and I said, you know, if you scratch that page, you'll actually smell the rot. Yeah. And yeah. because people can actually, that, that their, their olfactory uh, senses come into play when they see that, that it, it mortifies them. Yeah. Well, and it just goes back to probably that same scene 150 years ago when people were yep. just slaughtering them. Nobody wants yep. that. Um, no. Nope. So, so this is a great concept. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, what a novel concept. No, this is how, this is how conservation works. Hunting funds it. This is what's going to happen here. The park's going to open up to hunters. How? Here's a question though: How and who? How are people going to be selected to hunt? Uh, do you have to be an Arizona resident? Uh, break that down for us. Well, what's going to happen is the the Arizona Game and Fish will establish the rules and guidelines in regards to how those hunts will participate. Who will be able to part, participate? I'm sure it'll be some type of a draw, like most of our uh, trophy animals, like elk and stuff like that, are in and desert sheep are in Arizona. So um, they will actually be the ones that conduct those uh, the the, uh, the draws and then oversee the hunts. And I'm sure that they'll actually have, like they do with other uh, game animals, is keep uh, uh, tabs on what the health is, size, uh, genetics on them, uh, and like that. And then uh, um, I'm sure there'll be both resident and non-resident uh, folks participating in those hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that's the, the best way because we live with the animals, and, and the state is better uh, able to process and to oversee them because they're living with uh, these animals, and, and they have the jurisdiction to oversee that. So this is where it's going to come from: is the Arizona Game of Fish. Okay. Okay. So people are going to have to buy licenses. That's going to put money back into the economy. Absolutely. You know, this is one of those win-wins where we're not taking money from the taxpayers' pockets and, and erroneously uh, 
uh, destroying a process. What we're doing is building a, a win-win situation that everybody can benefit from. Absolutely. And from what I understand, there's about 600 animals. It needs to get down to around 200. So that's a lot of opportunity. Uh, going to be a lot of opportunity. And if we do it right, it's sustainable where uh, everybody can enjoy the future, you know, mm-hmm. years of hunting and, and being selected to actually being able to get a Grand Canyon bison. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the, the elk hunts that we have out here with the big elk that we have, um, you know, it just adds to that uh, anticipation and that sportsman's uh, adventure coming to Arizona. Absolutely. Well, this, like you said, this is the gold standard. This is how all conservation needs to work uh, yep. in this country. And uh, I think and a lot of times that gets lost on people. Um, so uh, we certainly applaud you. Um, I know you co-conspired uh, with some other um, folks on, on getting this. Uh, you know, is it a bill or has it already been passed? Um, no, it's a bill. And so what it will be doing is is it will be added to the sportsman's package that comes up for markup coming up here uh, in the coming weeks okay. uh, very shortly. So, um, you know, every year Congress puts together a sportsman's package, and this is going to be one of the frontliners that has, uh, you know, a good say. And, and, boy, it's one of those acclamations that when people work together, come up with a common solution that everybody can buy in. Once again, you develop uh, a camaraderie that uh, goes forward and and sets the bar high for everybody to attain. So this is a success story, and and we applaud everybody for jumping on board, and and particularly the Park Service for acknowledging that maybe it wasn't the best of ideas that they wanted to do, and that they um, uh, allocated the uh, you know the foresight to this type of bill. So now they support it. So uh, here we go. This should be fun. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, as soon as we find out how to apply, uh, I'll be sending in my application. So. <laughs> I expect you to. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people have said, listen, do you have any special privileges that you can get me first yeah. on the list? And I'm like, no, I'm probably last on the list. But, yeah. you know, it should be a wonderful uh, hunt. And, and, you know, to be able to do that in one of the grand majesties of the Grand Canyon, boy, I tell you what, yeah. those are hunts that you can uh, talk about for a lifetime. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for all the good work that you're doing for a conservation and sportsmen and women out there. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Cable, anytime. Thanks for bringing it up. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, there he goes, Arizona Congressman Paul Goser, uh, author of the Grand Canyon Bison Management Act, which uh, we are big fans of, no doubt about that. Anytime that science-based management pertaining to hunting is implemented, It's a good thing, and it works. There's no doubt about that because hunters don't want species eradicated. (laughs) I mean, we're the biggest conservationists on the planet. When a species is in dire straits, we're not going to hunt them, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it should be. So uh, we do appreciate Congressman Gosar coming on today, and this needs to be the rule uh, across all of North America, not just in Arizona. I mean... uh, you know, we don't even have time to get into the, the mess that California has made of its wildlife, but I could go on for days and days of uh, how not to do things, how not to use science. And, and <laughs> it's mind-blowing what some states are doing, but uh, kudos to Arizona, kudos to Congressman Gosar. And that segment, by the way, was brought to you by Horizon Firearms. I'm taking my 7 mag to Africa and counting down the days, y'all, three weeks. I cannot believe it. Never been to South Africa. My first safari ever with John X Safaris. And I'm taking my Horizon Firearms Custom 7 Mag. It's a tack driver. If you're looking for a custom rifle build, and I'm, and I'm telling you, 
Uh, I had never even shot this rifle. I went and picked it up. Derek handed it to me. He said, uh, Derek's the owner. He said, it's sighted in. It's ready to shoot. It's ready to kill. I'm leaving the next day for a bear hunt in Alberta. I take it to Alberta. Never shot it. And we go to the range. I shoot it one time at 100 yards, and I'm dead on, right in the bullseye. Next day, I shoot a 450-pound black bear right in the heart. He dies within 30 yards. Boom. And it's been the same ever since. So if you're looking for a quality custom rifle build, check out Horizon Firearms, and you can find them in College Station, Texas. That's where they're based out of. Or you can just go to their website, horizonfirearms.com. Man, just looking at the clock here. We got to go. Got to get out of here. I do want to say, great show planned for next week. We're going to discuss homosexuals in the hunting community. Um, It's kind of frowned upon. Not, Not from my standpoint, but from the homosexuals that I've reached out to regarding this. The amount of fear that they had about coming out as a gay person, but someone that likes to hunt, was suffocating. So I figured, uh, let's find out. Do gay people like to hunt? I mean, at the end of the day, they're just like us, right? People. They like to eat meat, some of them. Um, I don't know. Maybe not as many of them do like to eat meat, but we're going to find out next week. I'm certainly looking forward to that. It will be interesting, I guarantee you that. Uh, and we will have a passionate hunter, outdoorsman, join us from Wisconsin who is a homosexual and uh, I don't know maybe some of y'all can't get on board with that uh, but I think it's a a fascinating topic Um, so we'll do that Uh, we'll talk some striper fishing among other things it's going to be a good show promise you you'll want to tune in Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible we wouldn't be here without their support thanks to you the listener for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show until next time Cable Smith says, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. So down the road I go, forever I onward I know, forever I own.